0: Well, it's great to see you all here in worship today, and thank you, whether you're here in person or joining us online, whenever you are participating with us, we are glad to have you. Well, with each passing month, as Doreen alluded to, we are moving further along in our series, The Bible, a story of love, belonging, redemption, and hope. We began this summer with the Torah, with the first five books of the Bible, and some choices that change us, and we talked about choosing to have a relationship with God and being open to the unexpected, embracing uncertainty and reverence for life. We've moved on now to the historical books and learning from history so we don't repeat it, and we've heard the stories of faithful, devoted men and women who wholeheartedly followed the Lord, people like Caleb, Ruth, Samuel, Elisha, Ezra, and Nehemiah, who stood apart in their lifetimes from the disobedience, the selfishness, the idolatry of so many others whose examples we don't want to follow or repeat. And the final person we're going to look at from the historical books is a young woman, a young, courageous woman named Esther. Now, I want to begin by asking you, who is a courageous person you admire? I want you to try to think of someone who's a courageous person you admire, and it could be someone you know personally, or it may be someone from history whose courage changed the course of events, someone like William Wilberforce in England, or Susan B. Anthony, or Harriet Tubman, or Martin Luther King, Jr., But I want you to think of one person and what do you especially appreciate about that person's courage in the time in which he or she was living. This past week, Jill and I were in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a place that uh, is very special. We have visited there numerous times through the years and we walked for miles from one end of the battlefield to the other, covering the ground where over 150,000 men fought during the first three days of July in 1863 during America's Civil War. And going to a place like Gettysburg and reflecting on the hardship, the suffering, the horror that people endured is very helpful in giving you a sense of perspective whatever you're facing today. You know, Jill and I did that, and then I, I read online, I'm sorry for all of you who were stuck on Cape during the nor'easter and the aftermath. We were very happy to not be here. But when you read about everything that was the, the soldiers endured then, and then you read online about a, a woman being asked, so how are you coping? And she said, I, we haven't washed our hair in two days. I mean, the horror and suffering, it's hard to imagine doesn't really bother me but anyway (laughs) but as we went around the battlefield we read in you know the monuments and national park visitor signs and you just read story after story of courage and you knew also that on any battlefield there are countless more stories that will never be known and are never told Courage includes mental, moral, and physical strength to resist opposition, danger, or hardship. And in the book of Esther, we meet two women, Vashti and Esther, who each in her own way demonstrate courage in the face of hostility, they challenge injustice, and they defend the cause of the oppressed. Now, Esther is an interesting book as we journey through the Bible because it elicits very strong opinions, both for what it includes and what it doesn't include. No New Testament author refers to the book of Esther. None of them mention it. And most interestingly, it doesn't include a single explicit reference to God. God's not mentioned in the book of Esther. But the story in the book of Esther is constructed around an ancient hostility between the Israelites and the Amalekites that began way back in the time of Moses. It flares up in King Saul's day when he fought against the king, King Agag, and his Amalekite tribesmen. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 15. And that ancient hostility is reflected in two of the main characters in the story of Esther, and that's Mordecai a Jew who is a descendant of King Saul, and Haman, a descendant of the Amalekite king defeated by Saul. Haman is the right-hand man of Xerxes I, the king of Persia, also known as Ahasuerus in Hebrew. And so Haman, he plans to have all the Jews killed, all the Jews killed just because he felt Mordecai disrespected him by not bowing down to him. And Haman tells Xerxes that the Jews refused to be assimilated, choosing instead to live by their own laws. And Xerxes gives him permission to issue an edict to massacre the Jews. Listen to Esther chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and separated among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued for their destruction. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business so that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, the money is given to you and the people as well to do with them as it seems good to you. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces, giving orders to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods." Well, the story of Esther opens in Xerxes' winter palace at Susa, and Xerxes was one of the last kings of Persia. He ruled from 485 to 464 BC over an empire that stretched from India in the east all the way to Ethiopia in Africa. And though he was the son of King Darius the Great, Xerxes' reliance on undependable advisors led him to make unwise decisions. His weak, poor leadership resulted in military defeats, and he's portrayed as a very self-indulgent and vain man who resisted any kind of accountability. And lack of accountability leads to injustice, and it makes day-to-day living uncertain and dangerous, as Queen Vashti and Mordecai and Esther and even Haman could testify. Xerxes was eventually assassinated. And his kingdom was conquered by someone you may have heard of called Alexander the Great. And so it's there, though, at his palace that after a week of eating and drinking, as Doreen alluded to, that a boozed-up King Xerxes told Queen Vashti to come walk around and show off her beauty for a crowd of drunken men in his palace. And the queen, in really a remarkable show of courage and defiance for that period, refused And I think Vashti is a fascinating part of this story, even though she's only briefly mentioned here in chapter one, because she paves the way for Esther. And I wonder, was Queen Vashti executed? Was she exiled? Did she live to see or to hear about the courageous stance that Esther took? Was Esther inspired by Queen Vashti's example? Vashti is courageous, even though it cost her the prestige of being the queen, and it could have meant her death. And the result of her being deposed was that the search is made, as Doreen read for us, throughout the empire for the most beautiful young woman from whom the king can then select who's going to be the new queen. And Esther, or Hadassah, which is her Hebrew or Jewish name, She's taken to participate in this beauty contest that you don't necessarily want to win because it lands you in the king's harem. And we're told she was so lovely that Esther doesn't have to go through a whole year of prepping as the other women do and she's the one who catches the attention of the king. And things are going okay for Esther, presumably, until Haman proposes the terrible edict to kill all the Jews within the boundaries of the Persian empire, all because Mordecai won't bow down to him. And Haman is second in rank to the king, so he wields a lot of power. And he wields it as a means to control and to manipulate other people. So we'll pick up the story now in Esther chapter 4 at verse 9. And uh, Hathek is one of the eunuchs who attends Esther, looks out for her, protects her. And he's the messenger who's the go-between, just so you know, between Esther and Mordecai. So Hathek returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. The whole world knows that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come to him in more than a month. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent back this reply to Esther, don't think for a moment that you will escape there in the palace when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. What's more, who can say but that you have been elevated to the palace for just such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I am willing to die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had told him. So Mordecai persuades his cousin Esther, who he had raised after her own parents had died, to risk her life on behalf of her people by going to the king even though an uninvited visit was punishable by death. Esther, who was probably a teenager, think about that. She's probably a teenager. She's probably high school age. Demonstrated courage and faith and selflessness to try to save her people when they were threatened by a man consumed with evil. Esther risked her life by taking the initiative to speak to the Persian king on behalf of the Jewish people. And I don't have time to unfold all of it for you, but if you read through the book of Esther, you'll see that through a whole series of events and coincidences, the tables get completely turned on the enemies of the Jews Haman, driven by pride and self-importance, ends up the victim of his own hatred and ambition and he ends up being hung on the 83-foot gallows that he had constructed for Mordecai and all 10 of his sons are also executed, bringing the line of the Amalekites to an end. And the Jews are given permission to attack their persecutors, which they do successfully. And while Haman's edict gave those killing the Jews to, the right to plunder all their goods as well, the Jews do not do that. They only kill their enemies. But they take no plunder, which was a mistake that King Saul had made years before. Reading Esther's story, and some of you are like, well, what do I get out of Esther's story for my life now? Um, Reading Esther's story, I think one of the things that enabled Esther to have courage is something that is available to all of us, and that is having a community of support around us, having a community of support around us. I think this is one of the valuable aspects of being an active part of a local church, Esther has a circle of support that includes the women around her, the men who were appointed to watch over her and look out for her, as well as her uncle and the members of her faith community. And I know if we had an open mic day here at Brewster Baptist Church, I could have person after person who would be willing to come up and share a testimony about how your faith and courage were strengthened Because of the presence, the prayers, the support of other people in your small group and in this church. And I'm guessing if I even asked some of you right now, you'd be willing to come up and to do that. It makes such a difference. And when you seek to be a means of support and encouragement and strength for others, it inevitably builds a network of support for you that will be there if and when you need it as well. God, as I said, is never mentioned in the book of Esther, and yet this book is included in the Bible perhaps to remind us that sometimes God chooses to remain anonymous. You ever had that feeling at a moment in your life? You know? Similar to the stories of Joseph in Genesis and the book of Ruth, God's presence is felt in the book's coincidences, such as when the king has insomnia and he can't sleep and he's reminded of Mordecai's unrewarded loyalty. Sometimes in our own lives, it seems like God prefers to remain anonymous, but God is still with us in the midst of our struggles. The lack of God's name in the book of Esther doesn't mean a lack of God's presence in the book. And sometimes when God may feel or seem to be absent is when we need courage the most. For such a time as this may mean for you having courage with whatever it is you are facing today that might be causing you to be fearful or afraid. I love this quote from First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt who said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You are able to say to yourself, I have lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. The danger lies in refusing to face the fear in not daring to come to grips with it, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. You must do the thing you think you cannot do. And our husband, of course, is the one who said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Most of us will never find ourselves in a position of responsibility like Queen Esther or a first lady or a president or a soldier or a commander on a battlefield with so much riding on our personal courage and on our ability to make wise and intelligent decisions. Most of our battles are, thankfully, less terrifying and smaller But one of the battles that we all know can sap your courage is physical illness or infirmity or disease. And I know that's a battle that many of you are waging right now. And our prayers are with you. And it's so great to have Chuck back here today. It just touches my heart. You know, author Robert Louis Stevenson, some of you recognize that name. He coped with a variety of physical infirmities for years and this is what he wrote. He said, for 14 years, I have not had a day of real health. Can you imagine that? For 14 years, I have not had a day of real health. I have wakened sick and gone to bed weary, yet I have done my work unflinchingly. I have written in bed, and out of bed, written in hemorrhages, written in sickness, written torn by coughing, written when my head swam with weakness, and I have done it all for so long that it seems to me that I have won my wager, yet the battle still goes on. Ill or well is a trifle so long as it goes. I was made for a contest. And the powers that be have willed that my battlefield shall be the dingy, inglorious one of the bed and the medicine bottle. For some of us, that's where the battle is fought. It's not on a battlefield. I can't speak about the courage of Esther without mentioning one other very important point, and that is that the book of Esther reveals how ancient the sin of anti-Semitism is. And we as Christians need to continue to stand and to speak against anti-Semitism in our day. Throughout history, the Jews have suffered for being different because of their beliefs. And at the turn of this century, soon after historian Deborah Lipstadt had won a court victory over Holocaust denier David Irving, She went to hear the scroll of Esther read in her local synagogue's celebration of Purim. And when she heard the words from Esther chapter 4, verse 14, "'Who knows? Perhaps you came to royal dignity for such a time as this.'" She listened in light of her recent experience. "'I heard that,' she said, "'and it made me think, who knows?' If not for this very reason, I got the education I got. I got the upbringing I got. My job. Maybe we're all meant to do one something really significant. And some of us do it on the public stage. And some do it by helping a child. Nobody knows of it. Nobody sees it. But we're all meant to do something. And maybe this is the something I was meant to do. Who can say but that you have been put where you are at this moment in your life to show faith and selflessness and courage for just such a time as this? Harriet Beecher Stowe, another courageous woman who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, a book about the horrors of slavery that had a huge impact on public opinion in the United States leading up to the American Civil War after it was published in March of 1852. She wrote, when you get into a tight place and everything goes against you till it seems as though you could not hold on a minute longer, never give up, for that is just the place in time that the tide will turn. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, urged them, keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Just as Esther interceded and put her life on the line for her people, those of us standing on this side of all those years of history Also remember how Jesus did the same thing and interceded and put his life on the line between us and sin and death. And the letter of Hebrews tells us that he lives even now to make intercession for us. Let us give thanks for the faithfulness, the selflessness, and the courage of Esther and of Jesus And may their courage be part of our lives of faith as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for Esther and for her life and example and courage. And we pray, God, that for all the battles that are being faced by those who are listening to your scriptures and this message today. God, you know our struggles, you know our fears, you know the things that we may be afraid to face or to do. And God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would pour out power and strength and courage to do what needs to be done. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.